All right, well, if you want to take notes as we go, you can do two things. You can grab this half-sheet insert. We're going to be walking through this, as Mike said. There's also a place to take notes inside the bulletin there. If you open it up, you can see that. We are in this series called Cover to Cover, and the point of this series, the reason we're doing this series is to take this multi-themed, multi-faceted, multi-authored, multi-perspective book and to help you find life on every page every time you read it. Okay? That's the goal. That's the goal. And in this series, um, just to recap a little bit, we've seen that the Bible means that God's silence has ended, that we know what God thinks and how he feels because of what's written here in the pages of the Bible. And then we also saw last week that the Bible shows us what God is doing. Right? You remember the, uh, that bookmark that we had in your bulletin last week, right? That what God is doing on every page of the Bible and what God is doing in our lives right now is summed up in the storyline of creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. Uh, this is the big picture of what God is doing in the Bible and also in our lives. And today, I want to specifically answer one question. And there's one question I want to answer today. And that question is, what is the Bible? Like, what is this? Like, in its essence, um, sure, it's a book. Actually, it's a library of books. They've been written, 66 different books, written by over 40 authors over the course of 1,500 years. Um, but what is this book? Like, what actually is it? What kind of a book is it? What is it designed to do? What is it for? I think you can sum up the whole Bible in one word, okay? You can sum up what the Bible is in a single word. So there's four words that give the story of the Bible, but one word is the essence of the Bible, and that word is covenant. It's covenant. In the midst of all of the minutiae, right, there's 31,000 verses, 1,200 chapters in the Bible. It can all be reduced. Every single verse, every single chapter, every single book is all about one thing and one thing alone, and that one thing is covenant. So from beginning to end, the Bible is a covenant document. Okay, that's what the Bible is. And when you get this, it'll help you to get something out of every page of the Bible as you read it. Okay, so first, let's talk about this. Um, what is a covenant, right? I want to answer that question. What is a covenant? And there, I just got to say, there's hundreds of books out there that are written on this subject. There's a whole study called Covenant Theology, where authors try to define what a covenant is. They try to explain the covenants that are in the Bible, all of it to explain this one word. The, the word covenant is used throughout the Bible, and I'm going to give you my definition, okay? This is the definition that I have come to um, every time I read through the Bible, which includes going through it right now with City Bible Reading. Every time I read through the Bible, this is one of the things that I'm always asking myself. Every time I see the word, every time I know where the covenants are happening, I always say, okay, wait, I'm going to get it this time. I want to understand more fully. Um, and so this is what I'm looking for. And so what is the covenant? Here's the definition. It's a promise that extends the bonds of family love. Okay, that's what a covenant is. It's a promise that extends the bonds of family love. So you have a party of the covenant who is 
offering to extend the bonds of family love to someone else. That's a covenant. Okay, we have another word that gets used a lot, and in some ways, and sometimes people think these words are interchangeable, but they're not, because there's a very significant difference. But, but we use the term contract today in so much of just sort of daily life. We hardly ever use the term covenant anymore, but it's important to understand the differences between a covenant and a contract. And let me show you what I mean. So a contract says, this is mine, and that is yours. Right? That's what a contract says. Okay? Whether it's a rental contract, whether it's an, uh, an employment contract, whether it's a, you know, a salaried contract in a sport, you know, for a sports athlete, it's basically saying, look, look, this is mine and that's yours. Okay? Businesses that are getting together, look, this is mine, that's yours. This is your responsibility, this is my responsibility. That's what a contract says. This is mine, that is yours. Here's the difference with a covenant. A covenant says, you are mine and I am yours. Okay. You can like hear the difference. You can also kind of feel the difference, can't you? A little bit more of a technical definition of covenant that, that, that can explain the covenants in the Bible. It's a promissory agreement establishing a kinship bond, so family bond, between two parties by a ritual oath. Okay? There's usually a ceremony involved in the establishment of the covenant, and sometimes there are ceremonies involving in the renewal of the covenants. So today, weddings and adoptions, I think, are two good examples of covenants, you know, where there are, there, there, there are ground rules, there's, covenant, there, there's commitments that are being made, but what results is, is a relationship. Right? It results in people saying, look, I am yours, and you are mine. And again, I want to say that Covenant is what the Bible is. The Bible is a covenant document. And so this, what what does that mean? Well, what that means is that in the Bible, what God is doing primarily over everything is God is extending the bonds of family love to the world that he loves. Okay, that's what God is doing. And so throughout the Bible, God establishes covenants, renews covenants, so that we would experience his nearness, so that we would experience God in our lives, um, and so that we might also reflect his covenant relationship to other people. And so if you want to wrap your mind around the entire Bible, okay, you can go with the four words, creation, fall, redemption, renewal, or you can just look at the covenants that God has made. In fact, if you want to outline the Bible, I don't know if you ever thought about doing that, Sometimes you think about outlining one of the books. Well, if you want to outline the Bible, just use the covenants to be the Roman numerals, okay? Like this. Here's the outline of the Bible. There's the covenant with Adam pre-fall. There's the covenant with Adam post-fall. There's the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, with Moses, with David, and then with Jesus. It's not a coincidence that there are seven covenants from beginning to end, okay? That seems to be God's favorite number. And again, a covenant is about relationship. It's about care. Um, we have this thing that we talk about, that even lawyers talk about, called the spirit of the law. And even that recognition, that phrase, the spirit of the law, it recognizes that even contracts are more than just agreements and words. There really is a relationship that, is, that should be formed even with a, with, with a covenant. Um, and I would say that you know that you don't have a real covenant 
when you do something wrong and then you say, well, technically, what I did was within the bounds of our agreement, right? Usually that's when you're in a defensive posture, you're trying to like backpedal, you've been caught, and you're like, well, actually what I did wasn't that bad, or actually what I did technically wasn't wrong. At that point, at that point, you've either broken the covenant, right, or you don't have a covenant, you just have a contract, and you're literally letting it be up to, well, if your lawyers can prove that I did something wrong, well, my lawyers will prove that I didn't do anything wrong. That's not a covenant, right? A covenant, it's about a relationship. And so I think one way to think about God's covenants is to think about God as a circle maker, okay? I just like that image of a circle maker. The idea here is that from beginning to end, from the beginning, God has been drawing circles of relationship and love around people, and he's been inviting us into that circle. Like that's what God has been doing. And so what I want to do is I want to take the bookmark from last week, right? And I want to show you that in the midst of these four acts of the Bible, the covenant is the backdrop of it all, okay? So last week's story of the Bible, the backdrop of that story is the covenants, and that's what you have here on your, on your bulletin insert, okay? I know this might look confusing. I know that there's a lot of information here. I've got to tell you, though, that uh, we've got someone on staff who produced this, Chad, and this is glorious. Like, as someone who's been studying covenant theology for 20-plus years, man, this is one of the most helpful visual depictions of the covenants in the Bible that, that I've ever seen. And so the covenant is the backdrop of it all, um, and also the covenant is how God works in human lives. And I want to walk through some of the things in this handout so that you can understand, really, how to understand the Bible. And then after that, we're going to say, okay, then how does this impact you when you read? So we're going to look at the covenants, and then we're going to stop and say, okay, now how does this make an impact when you actually read the Bible? So first, there was a covenant that was made at creation. And if you look there, just to the, to the right of the icon that says the story of the Bible, you'll see it says there the covenant of works. That's in the creation element. So in the beginning, in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1 and 2, God actually circles humanity in family love. And then he calls our first parents to expand that circle. And that covenant that God made is called the covenant of works, because in that covenant, Adam and Eve were called to obey God and to provide good works to God as their part of fulfilling the covenant. Okay, and we see this in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. The image of God, right? Being made in God's image, this is actually the image of family, okay? Parents, other places in the Bible, have children after their image and according to their likeness. And so what this means, when God makes us in his image, this means that we were created in family with God. That from the beginning, God has been a father. God has been father to humanity from the beginning. 
And so what does that mean? Well, for God to be a father, that means that he is our loving authority. Okay, so before any of us had bad fathers, before any of us had experienced the brokenness of a fallen father, the word father was designated by God to communicate an absolutely loving authority. And that's where we were with God. He was our absolute loving authority. And as a father, he gave Adam and Eve the Sabbath, the tree of life, the dominion mandate. Um, and all of, in all of that, God was saying, look, I am yours and you are mine. And so he circles us with family love and then calls us to expand that circle. I mean, obviously that includes having children, but it also includes actually reaching out and building community where that circle gets expanded in the relationships that we have. What happened next in the midst of this covenant of works was not good news, okay? The fall into sin shows us actually new elements of what sin actually is, okay? The sin of Adam and Eve wasn't just high treason against the creator, although it was, right? God said, look, I've given you everything. Here's one thing I don't want you to do, right? And they did it. So that wasn't just an act of high treason, but this was a covenant relationship, that Adam and Eve were in. And so what Adam and Eve were doing wasn't just high treason, but they were a son and a daughter who were rebelling against their loving heavenly father. Right? It's one thing for someone in your life that you don't know well to be rude to you, but it's something else when it's your kid. When Adam and Eve took the fruit it was really like them taking all of God's gifts and saying, I want these, but not you. It was them telling God off, walking out on God and his love, and then slamming the door behind them. That's the fall. And I think seeing the fall in the light of the covenant, that God was extending the bonds of family love, and Adam and Eve literally just walked out of the circle. They rebelled and they ran away. To me, that adds a whole other layer to what sin actually is. That God cares about us and he cares about, he doesn't care about his laws as much as he cares about us and wanting us to experience the fullness of life and a relationship with him. And so, it not only adds another layer to their sin, but I think it adds another layer to ours. That are, we're not just breaking laws in, in, arbitra in, ar you know, in arbitrariness. We're not just breaking, but we're actually leaving and rebelling and running away from God. And so that's the fall. Well, <clears throat> question for us <clears throat> that we've answered a couple times in the series already, but how did God respond to this act of rebellion? When he heard the door slam, did the father disown his children? No. No, in fact, to recircle his lost children, God expands his love with grace. Okay, God adds something. The loving justice of the Father gave way to forgiving mercy. And the rest of the Bible shows how God continues to extend that circle of love to lost children. It shows how God does that 
from individuals to families to nations and ultimately to the world. That's what the rest of the Bible is about. From Genesis 3 all the way to the end. This is God working to extend that bond of family love to recircle us in his love and to help us experience that love and then expand that circle to other people. That's what he does. And he starts with individuals. Okay, he does this with Abraham first. In Genesis, um, we're, we're going to look at Genesis 15. God looks at the whole world and he says, man, how am I going to turn this around? Right? He's like, this is a mess. The fall, human beings, they've made a mess of things. I tried the flood. That didn't fix everything. Right? I tried to start over once, so we're not going to do that. What am I going to do to turn this around? And God's answer is, I'm going to turn this around one person at a time. One person at a time. And so God draws the circle of family love around Abraham. Genesis 15, verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. I love this verse. I love this verse because it talks about the covenant. God isn't saying, hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you all the blessings you could ever imagine, although he does. What God says here is, Abraham, I am every blessing you could ever imagine. Man, don't be afraid. I am your shield. I'll protect you. And guess what? I am your exceedingly great reward. Friends, if you don't think, when you think about what's the greatest thing you could ever experience in life, if your answer is not knowing God better and more closely, then I would say that you don't know God well enough yet. If you think that there's anything that in this life could match up or measure up or compare to knowing God and experiencing a relationship with him, I would say you just don't understand how great knowing God can be. He says, I am your exceedingly great reward. And Abram's response to this, in this conversation with God, it says, and Abram believed, he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. What does this mean? Well, <clears throat> Abraham's response, right? Abraham's response was one of faith. He said, Lord, I'm gonna trust you. I'm going to trust that you are my shield, and I'm going to trust that you are the greatest thing that this life could ever offer me. You are better than anything else. And so what we see here is God saying to Abram, I am yours, and you are mine. As God extends the bonds of family love and draws a circle around Abram, Well, this covenant then grows because it doesn't just involve individuals. This covenant grows, actually includes families. Um, In Genesis 17, so this next passage, um, it's not up here on the screen, but um, I'm going to read it to you. In Genesis 17, it says this, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Listen to this that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. 
And so God's coming back a couple chapters later, and he's renewing the covenant with Abram. And when he does this, it's actually going to get even better. Listen, he says, Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And so what we see here is that in Genesis 17, the covenant, this circle of love that God is drawing around Abram is actually being expanded, not just around Abram, but to his family. And God institutes in this chapter circumcision, which was this sign in the place of procreation, right? Not the only place, but in the place of procreation, showing that God's promises, that God's love is being extended from to believers and to their children. And so what God is saying here is, if I am yours and you are mine, if you commit to me, I commit to you and to your children. And so the covenant grows from individuals to families. And there's so much detail here. There's so many other things that can be said. But what we're trying to do is go through the whole Bible here. So we need to keep moving. Okay, then God's covenant goes from individuals to then families to then nations. To nations. And this happens through Moses when God actually provides a covenant that makes the descendants of Abraham into a nation into a nation. So let me read to you from Exodus 19. There's this passage where the people of God are at the foot of Mount Sinai, okay, where the Ten Commandments are given. Listen to this. It says, On the third new moon, that's three months, after the people of Israel had left the land of Egypt, on the day that they came into the wilderness of Sinai, that's the desert of Sinai, um, they encamped in the wilderness. And there Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called him up out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And so what you have here in Exodus 19 is this covenant ceremony. You've got God saying, I am yours. And you have the people saying back to God, we are yours. And so you have this covenant relationship that is being formed. And because of that, God begins to give the commandments. And so the Ten Commandments follow right after this story. They're based on the love of God that's been poured out. God's redeeming love that saved them from slavery in Egypt, that freed them from their captivity. Now, God is saying, I want a relationship with you. And here are the terms of that relationship. And so what God is doing here, God gives them the Ten Commandments. 
Um, and then he gives all these other laws and rules and statutes, regulations for the people. And these laws, if you read them, you know, one place you can read from Exodus 19 all the way to Exodus 24, it's about five chapters. And as you read all of these laws, you think, man, like there's stuff in here about farming. There's stuff in here about clothing. There's stuff in here about food. There's stuff in here about how to worship. There's stuff in here about how to treat other people. There's stuff in here about family. There's stuff in here about, like, it's, it's all of life. It's almost like God has something to say about all of life. And you think, oh, hey, it's almost like God has something to say about all of life. And when you see these laws, the Ten Commandments included, as expressions of this covenant relationship, right? these laws are part of the circle that God is drawing around his people Israel. What you see is that all of these laws are designed by God to say, I want you to experience me in all of life. The reason I talk about the way you farm is because I care about the economy, right? I care about the work that you do, and you can experience me in your work. The reason that there are rules and laws about how you, the clothing that you should wear is because I care about the clothing that you wear, and you can actually experience me in the clothing that you wear. The reason that I talk about, um, again, work and community and family is because you can experience me in all of these areas. And I want, to, I want you to. Like, I want you to know that in every part of your life, in the food that you eat, in the way that you worship, all of your interactions with other people, in politics, in how we treat the poor, in all of this stuff, all of life is part of the covenant. That's the message. And so, again, God isn't trying to create this arbitrary set of laws that would make you think, oh, good grief, like this is ridiculous. God is trying to help you to see, wow, God cares about all this stuff. God cares about me in every aspect of my life, that his circle of love extends so that I can experience him no matter where I am no matter who I'm with, no matter what I'm doing. And that is good news. That is good news, and that's something that you have to remember. That's why there's such detailed commandments. It's because God wants us to know that it all matters to him that we can, in every aspect of life, walk in the circle of his love. Man. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. God calls individuals, and these individuals fail. Abram has great moments of faith, but then also Abraham fails, right? Families fail. Parents fail to raise their kids well. Children fail to respond to the good parenting of their parents. And families fail. And guess what? Nations also fail. And so there's another covenant that comes. There's another covenant that is vitally important in the history of what God is doing to recircle his lost children and to extend to them love and grace. God knows that really what we need is we need a king. And not just a king who's like a domineering tyrant, but we need a king who is like the father in the beginning. We need a king who will lead as the Son of God, like God to us. And so God enters into another covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7 to call for a king who will father the nation 
and lead the nation to be like him. That's what happens in 2 Samuel 7. This is what it says there in 2 Samuel 7. God says, thus says the Lord of hosts to David, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on the earth. Do you see that like what God is doing? Is he's like, David, I've been with you. I am yours. <laughs> you are mine. Right? Then he says, moreover, um, I will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne, the throne of his kingdom forever. Listen to this. I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. Man, the king of Israel was designed to be the son of God, was called to be the son in relationship with his heavenly father so that he would never do anything that his father wouldn't do, so that he would always and only reflect the loving, kind authority of God in heaven. Do I need to say that that, that actually goes awry? <laughs> right, that's what it's designed to do. That's what kingship was supposed to be, but that's what kingship never is, except for once. We'll talk about that in a sec. God says, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom will be made sure before me forever. And so here we see that God is saying, look, individuals, yes, families, yes, nation, yes. But what they need, what people need, the engine for our hearts, the thing that will inspire us is a, is a leader who can reflect God's loving authority, who will lead us to be with God. And he establishes the kingship. Unfortunately, that also goes south. The kings of Israel become just like the kings of every other nation before them and every nation that exists today. They became self-serving. They became Manipulative, they became self-aggrandizing, they became uh, politicians um, in our day and age. And so, what does God do then? What God does, God, in a sense, realizes, God realizes that in order for him to really turn things around, in order for him to recircle his lost children and lead them to live within the circle of his grace, God needs to come himself. God comes himself, and God actually brings to fulfillment all of the covenants that he has made throughout the whole Bible up to that point. And so in Jesus, in Jesus, God became flesh, and actually became both a son, a son to God, and a brother to us. Part of the problem is that, you know, God is up in heaven, we're down here on earth, we can't do this right, so God says, okay, I'm going to come, and I'm going to do it for you. And so in Jesus you have, in one person, you've got someone who can represent and mediate for God, and you have someone who can represent and mediate for people. And that's exactly what Jesus does. The Bible says in, first, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says all of God's promises come true in Jesus. 
Jesus says in Matthew 5, all of the prophets, all of the writings of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament is fulfilled by me. Like it's all about me. It all points to me. It lays out a covenant relationship that should exist between people and God, and I am going to do it for us. And so Jesus comes first as the perfect individual who was the perfect son of God who lived in that circle of God's covenant love and gave to God the works that all of us should have given him. But he wasn't just an individual, he was also a king. Jesus came to do that for himself and also for us. And what we see with the rest of the life of Jesus is that he comes as the final king. He fulfills all of God's purposes. The perfect son goes to the cross and suffers for our rebellion. He suffers for our waywardness, for every time we've walked out on God, for every time we've slammed the door on God, those things put Jesus on the cross. And there he died. And then he rose again to lead us back into God's adopted family. And so in the crucifixion, Jesus was forsaken. The perfect son, perfect relationship with God, and yet he was forsaken. God turned his back on Jesus because God treated Jesus as though he was guilty for our sins. But in the resurrection, Jesus rises from the dead and says, there is a way back to God. You can know him again. You can come back into the circle of his love and grace. And that's what Jesus did. And so Jesus brings this new covenant. And it's new in the sense that it brings to completion all those old covenants. Because Jesus is the individual. He is the king. And what Jesus does is he creates a new family. And that's us. We are the new covenant family of God. That's what the church is. That's what God calls the church to be. We are the sons and the daughters of God who are following after our king back into the circle and living as though God is the greatest thing this world could ever offer us. And we live now on earth with these blessings of a relationship with God and where Jesus is taking us, he's bringing us from redemption all the way to renewal because what the rest of the Bible says, what the end of the Bible says is that heaven and earth coming together are the circle of our family's final home. That what God is doing now is just the beginning. What God has done already is just the beginning. We are just scratching the surface of knowing who God is, of experiencing his blessings, of knowing the joy and the peace and the wonder of a relationship with him. The more you dive into Jesus, the more you give your life, the more you live in the circle of a covenant relationship with him, the more of his blessings you'll experience now. And every blessing that God gives you has a tag on it. There's a card, and that card says, there's more to come. There's more to come. And so, this is the story of the covenant. How does this impact you tomorrow when you wake up in the morning and you open your Bible? Right? Wherever you read, let's talk about that. Flip over, flip this over to see the back. 
okay? How does the covenant impact city Bible reading? City Bible reading is the way, one of the ways that we read the Bible together here in the church. These, uh, there's a journal that has a reading plan, and then a, you know, this is a reading plan on how to read together, and then, uh, and then there's a way to pray through what you read, okay? And this is um, inside how the covenant will help you when you read the Bible, Okay? We walk through this acrostic that we've been doing for the last few weeks, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. See how the covenant idea impacts these things. Because we're in covenant with God, God's drawing his circle around us and bringing us into his family, then adoration becomes us adoring God as father. Right? The covenant means that God is our loving, fatherly authority. So whatever you read in the Bible, whatever you're reading, wherever you're reading it, ask yourself this question. How is God's loving, fatherly authority reflected in this passage? Like, how do I see God's authority? How can I remind myself that it's loving? And then, how can you honor God for his good gifts in your life? The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from, from the Father above. So how can you honor God for the good gifts that you have? Okay, then confession. Right? This isn't just confessing sin as though we've broken a bunch of laws. But remember, we're now confessing sin as a child of God. That covenant means our sin actually disrupts family love. And so ask yourself, how does your sin walk out on God and his ways? Right? Add that relationship piece to it. And then when you sin, what do you want more than God's fatherly love? Like, What are you aiming for? What are you chasing after? The approval of others? More money? Getting away with something? Like, is that really more important to you than God's fatherly love? That'll help you to confess your sins. And then offer thanksgiving to Jesus as God's offer of adoption. Right? God's covenant promise has come through Jesus' work. He's the perfect son, forsaken on the cross because of our sin, so we'd be adopted back into God's family. So ask yourself, based on whatever you're reading, how is Jesus God's loving response to your sin? You've just confessed this. How is Jesus God's loving response to your sin? And then how does God's adopting love assure you in hard times? How does knowing that no matter where you are, if you're in relationship, if you're in covenant with God, you are in the circle of his love. And how can that give you strength in the midst of your suffering? And then finally, supplication to the Spirit to live as an adopted child, right? The covenant means that we are now heirs of God's love and power, right? Our goal isn't just to be good people. It's not just to live good lives, but our goal is to live as God's children, that we would live in a way that shows the people around us, that shows God that we're his children and we love it. So ask yourself, How can God's adopting love be displayed in your life? And how can God's love motivate you to love others? So again, take this covenantal perspective. And as you do that, you can say, hey, is this passage talking about individuals? Is it talking about families? talking about nations? These are ways that you can apply uh, this idea of the covenant because God wants us to experience him in all of these things. And so this week, 
in city Bible reading, we're reading both Hosea in the Old Testament and Matthew in the New. In Matthew 7 through 11, that's kind of the New Testament readings for this week. Take on Matthew 7 through 11 and just see how Jesus interacts with people. See if you can't notice and recognize Jesus's family love and how he is extending the bonds of family love, both to people who are already in relationship with him and to people who aren't. And if that's you today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, God has written this huge book that is incredibly confusing at times. It can be incredibly frustrating at times, but the design of this book is that you would know that from the beginning, God has reached out to you. God has incredible authority, right? He can tell us what to do, and he will hold us accountable for all that we've done. But in the midst of the time we have now, God is reaching out to you in offering you family love. And if you will trust in Jesus and believe in him, God will extend his grace and forgiveness to you. And you can have a relationship with him that will change everything. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this covenant. We thank you for not, for not just being the creator, but for being the father. Thank you that this opens up more of what is in the Bible to us. I pray, God, that you would continue not just to show us more of the covenant in the Bible when we read it, but help us to realize that we can live in that circle of your love. Draw us in as you have drawn the circle around us. Draw us closer to yourself and help us to live in the joy of that circle. And Jesus, for those who are here and don't know you, Would you help them to see that your crucified body was offered so that they would know that there is no bound to your love. Draw them to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.